offering. So, Jay, what would the, the gender, the grammatical gender be of men who sew? You said seamstresses. I feel a little bit... Disenfranchised, perhaps. I feel politically marginalized. As There's half of the male sewers here. I know, John, I must say, as a conservative, I do a lot of that's disenfranchising your, that's and your marginalizing. Problem, I know. I, I must you, really consider repenting. So I'll consider that. Thank you. That's an excellent point. Let me, let me borrow that. Uh, hey, Diana, come up here. We're going to start. Uh, we're going a little bit off the uh, rails about the last days, and we're going to talk about something else today. And uh, I want to interview Diana. Come up here, Diana. Watch your step. And his heart talk. Just as scary as I thought. Is this better? Yeah, I can see better. No, I'm standing up here. So, uh, Diana, you shared your story with me, and I, I thought it was a great way to introduce what we're going to talk about. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you share with me, uh, this little journey that God's had you on. Well, I had a very difficult childhood with a very dysfunctional family and significant medical problems. I learned at a very early age to hide because no place was safe. I uh, got bullied a lot, beat up. And then uh, God used my best friend, whose family were all believers, to corner me time after time. (laughs) In love, I'm sure. In love. And one night she uh, felt like the Lord was telling her over and over again, tell her. So as I'm fond of telling people, I got saved at Max and Hermit's. <laughs> and it started a journey that led me here. Um, this church was truly a hospital for me. It was a safe place to get well, to have my wounds healed and redeemed, with people who did nothing more than love on me. And... Um, But my hiding and isolation continued. And I went church hopping. There's a lot of interesting churches out there. (laughs) (laughs) And the hiding continued. God kept pursuing me, no matter how much I tried to run. And one day he said to me, go back to Tuttle. Surely you can do this. And I came back, and there were people still here that I knew and still loved me. I went to a small group led by Steve and Mary. And uh, as I mentioned in my testimony to you, that uh, one night I got a call from Mary saying, can I have your address? And I said, okay. (laughs) And I got a nice handwritten note from them saying, welcome, we're here for you. And I just sat and cried. I've got nothing but love and acceptance, and I'm ready to stop running. That's cool. Thank you. Thanks, Diana. Thank you. Hey, maybe just for a second, uh, I didn't ask you if we could do this, but would it be okay if we just prayed for you for a second? Yeah. I'm already scared and up here. Like like we did with the baby dedication, some of you are Diana's friends, and you've kind of been walking with her in this leg of her journey. Just coming up, let's pray real quick for her. Just gather around her. Can we like lay hands on you? Cool. Sure. Okay. <laughs> well, I already did. All right. <laughs> yeah, 
There you go. All right. Oh, Lord, we, uh, we just thank you for Diana and who you made her to be. Uh, we know you knew her before she was born. You, you wanted her in this world as a gift. And uh, we thank you that you're slowly unwrapping that gift. And we, we bless you, Diana, uh, with grace from Jesus Christ that, that he would give you his courage to continue to, to come out of hiding and to continue to press into him and experience the new life he has for you. And we bless you with a, with a, a fresh infusion of courage and trust to become uh, even more of a model of childlikeness and that, that that childlikeness would be contagious everywhere you go and many other people would come to know Jesus and, and his love and his grace through you. Amen. Thanks, Diana. So, uh, you know, one of the passions we have at the Vineyard, among several, is uh, to encourage people to go on the, uh, the journey uh, with Jesus that uh, allows each of us to become uh, the, the people that he created us to be. But to do that, uh, if, you know, if you look at the life of Jesus, the journey that Jesus went on is a journey that most people uh, are reluctant to embrace. That to, the life that he's calling us to is a life of following him and following his ways. And it's not uh, wildly popular if you, if you didn't pick that up yet. And what, it, what we need to do that is uh, we need a, a community. We need fellow travelers who are going on that journey uh, along with us. And we need, it, we need multi-generational witnesses of that journey. Because from, I thought my, my baby boomer generation was broken. And I was hoping that, you know each generation after me would be a little less broken, but I think we mess things up so badly that all, all the millennials and the busters and everybody else, whatever their generational tags are, uh, you know, you guys have some real challenging times ahead of you. And so we try, uh, like Diana said, you know, to be a safe community, but to be a safe community doesn't mean that there's no challenge because what we want to do is we want to have a high welcome, but we also want to have a high challenge. And, and Jesus welcomed everybody, and then he challenged them to follow him. And where he was going was where life was. But to follow Jesus means to wrestle with things that a lot of times people want to opt out of facing. And I want to take you into uh, just, it's a, it's a real simple talk about uh, the ABCs of, of anger management. Uh, dealing with our anger is something we have to deal with every day. I don't know if you recognize this, but there's this cycle that we can find ourselves in where we get hurt and offended, and then we become angry, and then we take revenge. And that leads to more hurt and more anger and more revenge, and it's this... It's really like a spiral downward. And it's a very difficult cycle to, to first recognize 
but then secondly, to interrupt and get out of. But it, it, it's almost like every day you're drawn into it because the hurt trigger that produces the anger is something that it, it just, it's just part of living in a fallen world. And what I want to do is uh, take a passage from the book of Ephesians where Paul wrote to a, a church in a city named Ephesus. There's just a couple of short verses I want to read to you. In fact, I think we'll put the, the uh, verses up on the screen here. It's Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And I want to read it and then pray. Then we'll look at it. We'll just kind of unpack it. And it's, it's very simple. It's very practical. But, uh, you know, if, if I ask you to stand up right now and, and touch your toes, a lot of us would be challenged, right? <laughs> Some of us more than others. But because uh, your body's not used to that. Well, when we talk about anger, it's going to be like asking you to touch your toes, and it's going to be challenging. Uh, in some ways, because it's giving, we're gonna, you're going to see that the Bible gives you permission to deal with anger in a way that might surprise you. But it, it is not easy to deal with. And, uh, but we're not dealing with it alone. So that's what I want to encourage you, that, that we're going to go someplace where the one who mastered anger invites us to let him master our anger and our hurt. So let's read this passage, and then we'll uh, pray. In verse 26, Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. So let me read that again. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. So let's pray and ask God to, to help us to to learn something, glean something from this. Father, uh, thank you for your wisdom, and especially thank you for the wisdom that, that we, we receive through your son, Jesus. He is wisdom from you to us. And uh, we welcome that wisdom today, and we pray that you give us grace to open our hearts up, uh, maybe in ways that we haven't before to you. And we just pray that you'd be here with us as we deal with uh, some, maybe some delicate emotions and feelings and experiences that, uh, like Diana said, that your love would be here in, a, in just a special way that, that we could take a look at some things that might be hard to look at and, and find, that, though, that you'll help us. And we ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first thing you see, if you look at this, he says, uh, be angry, but don't sin, but don't let the sun go down in your anger. So, the first phrase he says is be angry, which is, he's surprised, he says that not all anger is bad anger. Now, maybe to some of you that's a surprise, because you've been taught that anger is sinful, <laughs> bad person when you feel angry. But Paul says here, and I'm going to show you, uh, Jesus as an example, a case study of this, that there is an appropriate kind of anger. That, that we can have, that we're, that's, that's actually justified. And that may surprise you, but uh, uh, that's one of the areas of our life where perhaps, you know, we do need to learn to touch our toes. Because if, if you've been taught that anger is bad, then you have muscles to stretch that you need to stretch. You need to actively stretch. 
And, you know, we're not going to be able to nuance uh, every situation where you can learn to discern where the anger you might feel is good or bad, but I think we can give you enough information that you can begin to maybe move in that direction and, and uh, relax. So in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus in John 2, I don't want you to turn there, I'm just going to read it. It's a, it's a somewhat of a familiar passage. Jesus goes into the temple uh, at one of the Jewish celebrations called Passover. And as he comes into the temple, I, I don't want to just deluge you in details, but the temple was on this top of this mountain. And it was the, the center of Jewish worship. And the, it, it had these rituals that went on that were very important in the life of Israel. Uh, but what, it was a place where people could go, and it was like, that's God's address. And that God's presence was there in this place. And it wasn't just for Jewish people. That, that God, when he said, build a tabernacle, and then they built this temple later, a permanent sort of version of the tent that, that they used in the wilderness that Moses constructed. This tabernacle uh, had, was permanent in the temple, and it was made of beautiful stones. It was just an amazing, it was, you know, considered uh, a feat in, in Jesus' day, one of the great, you know, architectural wonders of the world. But in this temple, there was a huge court around it that they called the court of the Gentiles. And that was where the people who weren't from Israel could go and they could worship God. They could begin to seek the God who was seeking them. And so that, that court was hundreds of times larger than the area for the Jews, which is an interesting char- characteristic. So uh, this huge area... Well, during these festivals, people would come from all over Israel and all over the world to celebrate the Passover. Like, well, that, this is the particular festival that they were celebrating. And so uh, they had all kinds of rules and, and uh, regulations that had emerged. And basically, the court of the Gentiles became this place where uh, the animal sacrifices that, that were prescribed were sold and the money, the pagan money had to be exchanged for Jewish money. And pretty much just crowded all the Gentiles out. And, and the people that were, not only were the Gentiles crowded out and marginalized and not allowed to seek God, but their, the, the rates of exchange and the ways that the, you know, the, the money changing and the sacrifice selling went on were really corrupt. And so Jesus walks into this. Now, catch this. The Jews are an occupied people. The Romans have conquered their, their homeland, and they have centurions, and, you know, and they're taxed. And, and so the Jews now are under the thumb of Rome. And they're oppressed unjustly. But then they turn around, and they mistreat the Gentiles who are seeking God. And not just Romans, but all kinds of Gentiles. And this is a peculiar theme about, thing about human nature is when we've been victimized, we're equally capable of victimizing others, which is ironic. When you're victimized unjustly, you would think that you would be the most sensitive 
to injustice and the least likely to mistreat other people, maybe not the same way you were, but in your own little peculiar, twisted way. But the Jews didn't. Now, these are the people of God. So Jesus walks into this, and it says he walked around, saw it, went out, and he made a whip. And to make the kind of whip that he used was a, a lengthy process. So people sometimes get the picture that Jesus walked into the temple area and just flipped out. You know, have you ever done that before? Have you ever just kind of walked into something and just popped your lid? And, you know, people, you're walking in one door and people are scurrying out the other door. Well, Jesus didn't do that. This was not a, a, a... This was not a bad attitude coming out of him. He looked at things. He realized this is wrong. And I'm uniquely in a position to do something about it. He went out. He made this whip. And he came back in. And it really was. Jesus came in the front door. And all the money changers went out the back door. And he flipped over tables. And he was whipping people. And you think, Jesus, gentle Jesus. (laughs) Gentle, mellow Jesus was he was kicking butt and taking names. That's what we say in Texas when you think. <laughs> and people, sometimes people look at that who were raised under the all anger is sinful philosophy, look at Jesus and they go, well, I don't know what to think about. Jesus was perfect and he was like losing it like that. He wasn't losing it. There, this, this little situation kind of introduces us to an important principle that, number one, anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is the result of something else. Anger is the result of us being hurt by someone, of someone, whether they matter to us or not, but someone who might matter to us, or, or they just matter because they're made in the image of God, They're being mistreated, and we feel angry about that. And then there's a third kind of anger that is sinful anger where we're just frustrated because we're not getting our way, and we get angry, right? I mean, all of us have experienced that, right? I know there's one or two of you that are perfect, and you haven't, but yeah. Tim says he's never experienced that before. Oh, okay. Tim said, you should raise both hands then, Tim. Okay, thank you. But those are really the three kinds of anger that everybody deals with. We deal with... When we're mistreated, wrongly treated, we should feel angry. We should feel angry when other people are wrongly treated. It's not a good thing not to feel anger when sin is committed. But then when we don't get our way, we, we tend to be, we're not very in touch with anger when other people are being mistreated, but boy, you know, uh, step on my toe and I'm going to go nuclear. Uh, that's just our human nature. But that's the range of anger that we all have to deal with. Now, when we're wronged by others, this is the third kind of anger that I think is the most generic that we really need to look at. Because what he says is, be angry but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger and don't give the devil a foothold. So he, he takes this, this, this phrase of Paul, has three, this phrase has three parts. The first is, be angry, but don't sin. And so he's saying, you've been wronged. And you're relatively sure you were wronged. 
But how do you be angry without sinning? Because your anger is going to drive you to some kind of response. Do you understand that? that that's part of a, a, anger is a gift from God to help you to realize something's not right. This is not right. What just happened isn't right. Don't dismiss your anger. That's what he's saying here. Don't dismiss it. Stop and and think about it. Recognize what you're feeling. Take a moment. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus walked into this situation, and people that he died for, that he was going to die for, and people that mattered to God were being treated unjustly by people who were angry because they were being treated unjustly, like I said, ironically. And Jesus was angry. And it says of that passage that zeal for God's house and for the people of God, because God's house is people, consumed him. So he, he, he felt the injustice deeply. Now, we don't always feel, because he was sinless, he felt it perfectly. We feel it on a range of hardly at all to, you know, somewhat. And you know, the more our consciences align with God's uh, truth, the more we're going to feel things appropriately. So this is part of that journey I mentioned earlier. We're all trying to learn how to have, how, how to, how to have the kind of anger that we should be having but not sin inappropriately. Because anger is a powerful thing. And you can be angry about injustice and you can make the situation worse by your response. So you can be justified in anger, but then you can act in an unjustified way. And Paul's warning us, you have to be aware. If, if we're going to let the anger thing out, we have to have some guardrails for it and some controls. So he says, and there's one particular thing that Paul's taking on. And he says, this is the way that we sin most often. When we're sinned against and we become angry, we sin by letting the sun go down on our anger. And it's a figure of speech that just basically means we bury it. We bury it. And when we bury it, you know, we may plant some flowers on top of it. We may make a garden around it. You know, we have all these rationalizations for burying it. But he's saying, don't do that. Because if you do it, you will allow the devil to have an opportunity. And we're going to look really long at that point. But what he's warning, it's a warning saying, if you let the sun go down in your anger, notice, if you don't deal with it appropriately, you're going to have another problem. That Satan, the whole demonic realm, is going to be released on your life. That's the warning. So, we react sinfully when we're wronged by others by either paying them back or ignoring and discounting how we've been treated, which is a learned behavior, or we make ourselves or someone else pay for what happened. Do you recognize that? Let me read that to you again. We react sinfully when we're wronged by others by either paying that person back, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back, get even, or we, and this is, this is really the letting the sun go down 
point is we discount or ignore the wrong that was committed against us. Sometimes because maybe someone, in a sense to use sort of modern lingo, there was a power differential. And they were in a position of authority over us. And we didn't have the ability in that relationship to express how wrong we felt and address it. And so we just stuffed it. Well, and and if we stuff it, this is the natural result, is we're going to make ourselves pay or we're going to make somebody else pay. Someone's going to pay. And so we give the devil an opportunity when we put this thing to bed without putting it to bed. When we stuff that anger down or discount it, or rationalize it, or justify it, or blame ourselves. I mean, there's a lot of ways that we let the sun go down on our anger that are really unhelpful. In one place, when, when the anger that we feel is going to get transferred, okay? That anger that you feel, is you can feel it in your body. I was praying with someone recently, and I said, they were, they were telling me, they were having this really strong reaction. I said, where do you, that's, that's, that, tell me more about that. And they told me, I said, where do you feel it? And they said, like, I feel it right here in my body. You ever been angry and you like feel it right here? It's like this burning thing. You know, it's interesting that, that neuroscience has shown that there are neurons for feeling in your gut, around your heart, and in your brain. And it, it's not our imagination when our body is feeling things, not just everywhere, but in a location. Because anger has this power. And the anger is supposed to move us to do something. It's supposed to move, act, move us to action, appropriate action. But if we push it down, it hardens our hearts. It distorts our perceptions. And... It'll damage your health. And if it hardens your heart, if you allow anger to submerge inside you and it hardens your heart, it will put distance in your relationships. Even relationships that matter to you. See, when we ignore mistreatment from a person that hurt us and we just back away from them, we've taken a step away from everybody else. We don't mean to do it, but you can't not do that. That's why John, the Apostle John in 1 John, he understood the principle. He said, listen, those of you that say that you believe in God and that you love God, if you don't love your neighbor whom you see, you don't really love God whom you don't see. And it's a, it's a simple, logical observation. There's the, the, like this thing I like to say all the time. I know sometimes you get tired of hearing it. it faith is is about a, an integrated life. There's a vertical dimension to our faith, and there's a horizontal dimension, and they are joined. They are inseparably connected. And people who want to have this relationship with God that's just vertical, and they don't want to deal with people, you're living in a fantasy world if you think you're really as close to God as you think you are. Because Paul the Apostle who wrote this passage we just read, he learned the hard way 
when he was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appeared to him, and he fell off his horse, and, and he says, Saul, Saul, because that was his name before he became Paul. He took on a, a, a Greek name so he could, he could be a missionary to Gentiles. He took on a Gentile name. He said, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he goes, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. Now, he wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the followers of Jesus, people. And that had to just grip Paul. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the rest, you can see his, a lot of his theology came out of that experience, which sat real well with the whole Old Testament. That when you push people away inappropriately, you push God away with them because he is connected to them. And we, we've tried to pull God and people apart and deal with them differently. You really can't. If you think you are, you're deceiving yourselves. And you're, you're living in a fantasy world. You're not living in the real world. And if, if there's one thing that you know, I've learned in being a Christian a long time now, is that God is not a crutch. God is not a crutch. He forces us to face our weaknesses. He forces us to face the things in our lives that are not very attractive. Because he wants us to become the best version of ourselves that we can be. And the only way we can really do that is through Jesus. Through a perfect human being who blazed a trail for us and then did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. And he offers us something that we can never realize in our own abilities. Or in, if we all pool our abilities together for one person, we wouldn't have enough of the wherewithal that that person needs. But God sent his son to provide that for us. And so and anger gets transferred to others when we internalize it. We damage them with our, word and our words and our deeds. And, and, and anger, this is, a, this is a sad thing, anger gets transferred into our spiritual life in our relationship with God. And people who really are not doing what God wants, that mistreat us, if we stuff that and we don't deal with it appropriately, it begins to bleed in our relationship with God and it distorts our view of God. That we begin to imagine that God is like them, even though he's not, even though he's against that behavior. And even though he died on the cross for what they were doing to you, to, to take the pain away from you, if you push it down, it's going to affect your relationship with God and people. That's, that's the thing. So I want you to repeat this after me. This is the point I want you to take away today. Anger that's not transformed is transferred. Anger that's not transformed is transferred. Now, I want you to repeat with me. Anger that's not transformed is transferred. It's transferred to you. It's transferred to other people. And anger, like, like in, in a sense, like it can, it can have a characteristic like sin in this sense. If you have a solvent, you have to have an appropriate container for it. Because solvents, by their chemical nature, dissolve things. And anger and sin... Because sin is what creates anger. Hurt is what creates anger, except for when it's our petulant immaturity that's just angry because we're frustrated, we're not getting our way. But when we're dealing with sin and injustice in the world, 
It's a powerful thing. And if we don't learn to transform it, it's going to get transferred, and whatever, whatever container we pour it in, it will dissolve it. And so he's, and he warns us. He says, if you don't transform your anger, you're going to open yourself up to demonic oppression. You're going to open yourself up for Satan to trouble your life in significant ways. Now, some of you look at me and go, my gosh, you know, this is, this is the age of the internet and science. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not like huddled around a campfire, you know, cooking our food over on sticks and rubbing sticks together. What kind of a person are you to mention Satan? Well, you don't have to believe in him for him to uh, be potent and real. And there's lots of, there's lots of, interest in, in that, uh, the dark side of reality that's out there because people see it is real. And one of Satan's greatest ploys is to say, I'm not real. You know, don't, don't, don't believe in me. I'm just a figment of your imagination. I'm, or, or, or Satan's a figment of some uh, uh, regressive, uh, non-educated people. But I've seen real inexplicable things over my 40-plus years of being a Christian uh, in public places with lots of other people that have led me to believe that what the Bible describes about evil, supernatural evil, is real. And if you don't deal with the anger in your life, you've opened yourself up to the enemy. We're going to pray in just a minute just to begin to break the power of that permission you've given the enemy to invade your life and trouble you. Uh, but how do we transform it? So we see it's transferred. We've talked about that. That's the warning of this passage. You're going to be angry. You can't escape it. But you have to learn to transform that anger. So how do you do it? Well, we go back to the, the, the gospel again. Jesus came as the one who can transform everything. I mean, one of the promises of the gospel, at the heart of all the promises that Christians have, that everybody has in Jesus, is this. He says, it, it's, it's a summary verse in, in the, the end of the book in Revelation, the book of Revelation. It says, behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. And if you've ever been in the grip of the cycle of hurt, anger, revenge, and the turmoil it causes in your life, and the way anger turns inward, and the way it just destroys your life, and you're raised around people, like Diana said, and she didn't mention it, I, I don't think in any detail, but in her family, she was raised around uh, some, some serious emotional and physical abuse. And when you're small, and, and the people who are supposed to be helping you if, if you're being abused are the ones that are abusing you, it, it, it's a terrible trap. It's a terrible catch-22. And it just does horrible things to you as a person. And so God saw that we're in this cycle that we cannot get out of, and so he stepped into it in his son Jesus, who took all the power of that cycle, the power to destroy, and bore it himself. And then he invites us and he says, if you'll come to me and give me that which is destroying you, I will render it powerless 
I will nullify it, and I will put something in you from my heart that will begin to grow in you, and you will begin to be able to master anger in a way that you can't on your own. And so, the, back to that story, the, the, the picture of Jesus in the temple has the picture of justice. Because when you're hurt and you want to get even, what you want, if you understand it, is you want justice. And you deserve justice. What Jesus did is he went into the temple and he represented people in the temple who had no one to speak up for them. And so part of the takeaway of that when we talk about this here is some of you have been hurt and no one has stood up for you ever about certain things. Maybe you've experienced some advocacy in some area of your life, but the most hurtful areas of our lives are where, and the ones that are the most damaging are the ones where no one stood up for us. No one raised their voice, like Diana said, in school getting bullied. It's one of the worst things that can happen to you. I was really skinny. I got bullied some until I got taller. I was tall and skinny. And then I, be, I, then I started hanging around with athletes, and everybody just stopped bothering me because <laughs> I had big friends. But I was fortunate. But there's a lot of people who don't experience that. And so Jesus comes as our advocate. And the whip represented justice. But the whip in John 2 that he used to establish justice was turned around and it was turned on him. And he was whipped and abused to finally establish justice in the world. And God made a statement in Jesus. He allowed his son to be abused and whipped in our place. Not just to say this is wrong the way people are behaving, but to do something that had the power once and for all to take the pain that we feel that drives the anger and absorb it and bring comfort and love and understanding and everything that we long for that we don't experience when we're in those moments that that birth anger in us and fuel it. And so Jesus took the whip and then went to the cross. And he was whipped to the point of being uh, unrecognizable. That's what the Gospels tell us and the Old Testament tells us, that, that Jesus was a sin offering and he, and he was beaten to the point where you couldn't even tell he was human. He was beaten by the Romans and he was beaten by the Jews. Or maybe Jews first and then the Romans. And then he went to the cross where he was crucified. And what he was doing was he was taking the power of sin into his perfect body and he was breaking it once and for all. And he was saying, if you'll turn to me and come to me, there's the opportunity for your heart to be made new again. But you have to be willing to bring that to him and not just push it down. And there's a, there's a weird thing about habit. Habit is a good thing. But when you formed the wrong kind of habit, it digs the hole deeper and deeper and deeper for you. And all the invitation and love of Jesus is worthless unless you're willing to say, I, ha- I, I am powerless in the face of this 
stuff. And I need help. I mean, that's, that's the step in AA where the life change begins in, in 12-step programs. Is people have to admit that they're powerless. And they have to turn to God and in AA as they understand it. But we know it's Jesus who's the mediator between us and God. And if we turn to him, he will take that awful thing that we carry around inside us that, that for some of us we've never spoken to anybody about. Because we've just thought, what's the use? Who could, ever, who could ever understand this? Who could ever do anything about it? The one who took the whip and stood up for those who no one would stand up for, understands. And then the one who took the whip and was punished in our place to break the power of not only the sin against us, but our own sin... He's the one who can become a refuge for us if we go to him. But the terrible lie when you won't, when, when you're taught that anger is bad, you're basically taught that you're bad. You're the problem. And in a sense, we are the problem, but not in those moments where we've been the victim, where we've been sinned against. We aren't the problem. The anger that we're taught is bad then backfires on us and we're stuck in this terrible place. And it just becomes this pattern that we, we just shove things down, we shove things down, we shove things down. And again, if it's not transformed, it is. It's transferred somewhere. Maybe it's just transferring around inside your soul. What is it doing to you? Do you recognize today? Is, is it possible in something I've said here that you realize... You have anger inside you that's just been transferred. Someone's cruelty to you is still affecting you long after you've last seen that person or thought about them. Is it possible? I think it's not just possible. It's likely. And we just become so good at letting the sun go down in our anger. But it doesn't make it go away. Because anger that's not transformed is transferred. So, I want, to, I want you to just pray with me. Uh, two prayers. And they're, 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 they're kind of prayers that will open your eyes. One will open your eyes, and one will break the power of something in your life if you're willing to let it happen. Because what we're talking about here is I'm... I'm encouraging you to go on a journey where you begin to face what's going on inside you. Good, bad, ugly, and different. And then say, that's part of my life. I'm not going to ignore it anymore. Uh, but I'm not going to obsess about it. I'm just going to try to learn to be attentive to what's going on inside me. Because it really is the problem. Where, uh, as the Bible often describes, following Jesus is on this path with two ditches on either side. In one ditch is the obsessed person. And the other ditch is the inattentive person. One person is just completely wrapped up in their feelings because they've ignored them for so long. And their life is just in turmoil. The other ditch is a person who's 
completely out of touch with their feelings, and their life is in turmoil in a different way than that person because they're out of touch with how they feel. This is all they can feel. They don't feel anything, at least not appropriate, normal, healthy feelings. And Jesus calls us both people because we, sometimes we go back and forth, you know, from one ditch to another. But most of us live in one ditch or the other. And Jesus calls us up on the path with him and says, walk with me. I can handle what you're facing. But you're going to have to be willing to, to bring that stuff out. Diana courageously describes she's trying to come out of hiding. And that's what it is. The lie that our anger is sinful has forced us into hiding. And so we have to reject it. But you've also made decisions that have opened your life up to the enemy to trouble you. And so I just want to pray briefly before we go for two things. One, for those of you that want to do this, that you would say yes. And say, Jesus, I want to go on a journey of getting out of the ditch that I'm in and begin to follow you and, and be attentive and vulnerable and in touch with what's going on in my life in a healthy way. And all your obsession with all the things that distract you, you got to realize that is not healthy and not good. And some of you, your lives, you have good things that, are, that you're totally obsessed with. Those are out of balance, and they are, they are substitutes. They're ways of avoiding what's going on inside you. And Jesus is just gently saying, I understand, you know, I get it. I don't want to shame you for that, but I want to help you. I don't want to leave you there. So, if, if you feel like in some way, I'm going to ask you just to respond, and then we all pray together. And it might not, you know, maybe there's only three people here that this connects with in some way. But if something from this point that anger that's not transformed will be transferred, if, that, if there's some aspect of that that spoke to you today that you realize that's at work in my life, and I want to take it on with God's help appropriately. It's not, it's not supposed to be your life project. It's supposed to be part of your life project. But if you feel like that speaks to you, I just want you to stand where you are and you know, it's a safe place. We're all, all of us could stand. Uh, some of us aren't honest enough to do it at this moment. But we could all stand and say, yeah, I got to deal with that. Because we live in a fallen world and we just don't have it together. None of us. I'm standing. And, and I, 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 I'm just telling you, I'm right with you. I am dealing with this in spades. It's, it's a part of my life. 